Hey guys, welcome back to the Wisdom and Stuff podcast. I'm your host, Daryl Boucher, and this is where we cut through the Christianese and tradition-based thoughts that hinder us from the limitless lifestyles that we as actual children of God are designed to walk in. So let's go ahead and dive into the Word and see what the Holy Spirit has for us today. Oh, praise the name of the Lord. Glory to your name, Lord Jesus. We thank you. This is the day that you have made. This is the day you have made. We're going to rejoice and be glad in it, Lord God. And we just thank you right now, Lord God, just for your goodness, for your grace, for your power, Lord God. We thank you that, that Father, you are the one who owns the cattle on a thousand hills, Father God. I thank you, Lord God, that you hold the whole universe in the span of your hand. Praise God. Father, you said you, you actually measure out all the oceans, Lord God, in the palm of your hand, Lord God, that you weigh all the mountains in a scale. Father God, that's how huge you are, Father God. And we just thank you that, Father God, you you are our Father, we are your children. And so we come in right now giving you all glory, giving you all praise. Praise God. Father God, we just we want the highest. Father God, I believe that you made available the highest way, the highest thought, the highest word. Father God, we thank you that we set our minds on things above today and not on the things of the earth. Lord God, we just thank you that we are eternal beings. We have an eternal mindset, Lord God. We set our hearts to understand and we thank you, Father, that we receive freely all that you have for us. That which the Holy Spirit has ordained before the foundations of the world. You saw this very moment. You saw this very hour. You saw this very people. Father, you saw us right here. And Father God, this is on purpose. And I just thank you that we enter in to that which has already been ordained before the foundations of the world. Father, we partake. We, Father God, engage with. We cooperate with. We draw from, Father God, and we bring our supply. And we thank you. We make the exchange. Father God, and we allow heaven to invade the earth tonight. And we just thank you for it in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Praise God. Glory to God. Well, if you remember, we got into this last time, um, just talking about the high priest and just factoring in the high priest, factoring in Jesus as our high priest, and the fact that, you know, in the Old Covenant, in the Old Testament, you know, that changed how they did everything. When they knew that the high priest did his job, when they knew that it was done, they could walk in confidence in all that they did. Not because they were going to do it all right, but because he did it all right. And so, as we, as in the New Testament, how much more? How much more are we supposed to do things a certain way because we have a high priest? And as we get into this, obviously in the book of Hebrews, like I said, it really talks a lot about the high priest. And as I was praying into uh, uh, this service, I was praying into this, I, I really realized as, as God was leading me into it, that I can't really get into um, yet... Um, too much about what the high priest actually did or does or is doing uh, until we understand our role. Because what happens is when, when when we begin to understand, you know, what Jesus did or the high priest or or what God has done, um, many times what we do those we still have a sense of separation from those things. So we we don't really receive our, our place in it. And so what we do is we begin to observe what God has done or what God is doing instead of partaking it. And, uh, and this is what the Lord was talking to me about even the other day as I was praying into this, is that what I need to do in, in tonight's service as the Holy Spirit leads us, I want to really get into understanding our role in the high priest ministry. And, uh, and like I said, we'll get into, <clears throat> over the next couple of weeks, we'll get into what the high priest did and what he's doing. Because he's very active right now, but if I, you know, knowing knowing what he did and knowing what he's doing will not do me any good at all if I don't know my role in it. 
if I just think I'm an observer, or just if I just think that that it's it's um, the, you know biggest the biggest thing if I, if I don't think I'm worthy of that, if I don't think I'm worthy of what the high priest has done or what the high priest is doing, then I'm gonna I'm gonna have this sense of separation, and I'm still going to try to attribute um, uh, acts of works or acts of of goodness or acts of righteousness to try to earn my place in the in in the high priestly ministry and that's that's the that's really defeats the whole purpose of the high priest if i've got to earn my way there uh so now with this let, i mean let's let's just look at the, something here uh turn over to hebrews chapter 12 hebrews chapter 12 and uh i just want us to understand who we are you know when um when i was uh in the midwest uh uh just not that long ago um a few weeks back or a month ago or whenever it was I was getting ready to do a service, and um, and I was going to be teaching in a conference. And as I was as I was preparing for this, like the you know a couple days before or something, I was I was asking the Lord. I was I was going, okay, Lord, what what do you have for them? You know, I'd already been preparing my heart. I'd already been studying and praying and stuff, but I just was really really just seeking the Lord about the, that specific service. And um, and the Lord asked me this question. He goes, "Do you know who you're about to talk to?" Do you know who you're about to speak to? You do you know who you're about to minister to? And I, I, of course, I said, "Okay, Lord, show me." And I had um, basically like a what you'd call it like a, a a vision. You know, basically, I was um, it wasn't I wasn't out of body or anything like that. I, I just I had my eyes wide open, but but I could see myself walking into the the church where I was going to be ministering in this conference, and. I could see it as if it was as if it was the temple of God, as if it was like a cathedral type temple. Temple, you know. And I, of course, I knew where I was. I'm walking into this church, and I could see the congregation, and they were standing, and I could see aligning the walls uh, on both sides. I could see angels standing there at full attention, shoulder to shoulder, lining the walls, and. <laughs> And as I began to walk in, I could—I I mean, this, the, the the feeling was so tangible. I'm just—I'm—I'm I'm just witnessing this, and the feeling was overcoming me. And the Lord, He speaks to the—he—he. He, he, this is what the Lord says to me as I begin in this vision to walk into this corridor, into into this temple, into this tabernacle of people. Um, and He says this. He goes, "You're about to speak to the royals." And, you know, knowing that this is the royal family, this is the family of God. These are the children of the Most High God. These are the children of the King. This is the children. These are the royals. These are the royal family that you're about to speak to. And as I begin, I'm, I'm walking into this, and I can feel. I can still feel it today. You know, as I, as I'm recounting this, is I could feel just the, the 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 best way to put it is an environment saturated with honor. There there was such honor. There, that these are the royals, and that in, in God, He was kind of up on on the stage area, you know. And it just I couldn't see Him, but I could sense His presence. And the King was there, and His family is in the congregation. And I'm going to address the royals. And as I began to walk into this room through the royals, the sense of honor was there, and the angels—they're all at attention. And I could just. <laughs> I could I could sense exactly what was happening with them because they were at attention, their eyes forward, their heads up, and they were just standing at attention. And what I could feel off of them was how honored they were to be those who were called to serve and minister unto the royals. 
They did not look at us as a laborious task. They didn't look at us as like spoiled children that they had to watch. They didn't look at us as as protectors, like we're like we're just you know weak or frail in any way. They were honored to actually serve us because we're the royals. And oh my goodness, it just overcame me. And it's like, oh my father. And uh, and and this is what he he, he spoke. He goes. You're, you need to speak royal words, words that are worthy of me and words that are wor that are worthy of them. And I began just to repent and begin to, to just seek the seek God about this. But it overcame me, understanding that who we are in the body of Christ, who we are as children of the Most High. We are not His charity case. We are not just the bumbling idiots that mess up all the time, right? We're not that. We are the royals. We are those. I mean, here it says in, in, in Hebrews in chapter 12, and it starts off in uh, in verse 18. And he's this is, once again, he, he all through Hebrews, he's been talking about the high priest. And he's been talking about who we are. And, uh, and he's talking to, once again, the Hebrew people who are used to a wilderness mentality, used to a works mentality. And he says, For you are not come unto the mount that, that might be touched, and that burned with fire, nor, nor unto blackness and darkness and tempest, and the sound of a trumpet and the voice of words, which, they, that, uh, which voice they that heard entreated that they, would, that they should not be spoken unto them uh, anymore. Now, what's he ta he's talking about Mount Sinai. Right? And the Hebrew people know what he's talking about when he's writing these verses, right? They know what Mount Sinai was. They know that it was back, you know, when, when God showed up on Mount Sinai and it was said that it was, it was, that this, this tempest, dark cloud tempest sat upon the mountain and it began to shake and quake violently. And it says that, that, that God said, don't even let an animal touch the mountain or else you're going to have to kill it. And, and the, this, 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 the, the voice came down. Now, this was the first time that God gave the Ten Commandments was from this mountain where everybody could hear him and then they they, they stopped their ears and they said don't we can't hear him or else we're going to die. They, they felt so condemned they felt so unworthy that they felt that they were going to die if they heard any more words right and so uh, so that they, 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 they told Moses Moses you go up for us because we can't talk to God we can't listen to him or else we're going to die now that wasn't true. But their, their own sense of unworthiness, their own sense of guilt, their own sense of sin consciousness stopped them from hearing the voice of God. And here, this is what the God, this is what God is saying in, in this book in Hebrews, saying, you're not come to that mountain anymore. That's not who you are anymore. Okay, so here he says, um, and so we're not come to this mountain. He says, for, verse 24, they could not endure that which commanded. And if so much as a beast should touch the mountain, it shall be stoned or thrust through with a dart. And so terrible was the sight, verse 21, that Moses said, I exceedingly fear and quake. Even Moses, Moses, the man who stood before God, Moses, I mean, he's the one who, he's already gone through the 10 plagues. He's already, you know, part of the Red Sea. He's done all these things. And he is sitting there going, Ah, I can't even hardly stand this because I fear and I quake. This is how strong this is. And he says, but you, praise God, we are not that. We are not that anymore. We are not separated anymore. Praise God. But you are come unto Mount Zion and unto the city of the living God, to, to the heavenly Jerusalem and to innumerable company of angels. I love this. Verse 23 to the general assembly of the church of the firstborn who are written in heaven and to the judge of all and to the spirits of just men made perfect that's us glory to god and to jesus the mediator of the new covenant and to the blood of sprinkling and that speaks better things than that of abel praise god 
So here he is, he's going, this is who you are now. You're not come to a mountain that, that speaks of condemnation. You're not come to a mountain that, that, that speaks of sin consciousness. You're not come to a mountain that speaks of separation. Now you're come to the Zion. Now you are the, the spirits of just men made perfect. Now you've come to the holy mountain. Now you've come to a place of brethren and of meeting of the congregation. Because we have, a, we have Jesus, the meteor of a new covenant. Glory to God. He's our high priest, and his blood speaks something. And it speaks of innocence, it speaks of the price being paid, it speaks of sinlessness, it speaks of purity and, and justification. Glory to God. And so with it, what we have to understand is how we come right now is, is, is it's all about what Jesus did as our high priest. Okay, but we have to realize what he intended to in this. What was God's intent in the high priest? His intent in the new covenant, his intent. His intent was never that we were separated. His intent was is never that we would, that we would have this sense of of works mentality. His intent was always that we would come boldly. It was always that we would we would come uh, in in a in a basically a totally different way. Over in um, Hebrews chapter one, let me show you this. Praise God. <laughs> oh man, I love it. So now here, uh, you know, as as we as we get into this, you know, we need to understand God's intent for our high priest, His intent in our role with our high priest. It wasn't, you know, Jesus didn't do it for Himself. He didn't He didn't become a high priest just so He could have a new title, right? He didn't need more to do. He wasn't just laying around going, "Man, I wish I had me a cool title. Maybe I could become high priest." He did all of it so that we would actually be able to partake in a different way. Um, Okay, now in Hebrews chapter 1, I'm just going to read basically verses 1 and 2. And uh, in verse 1, I mean chapter 1, excuse me, in chapters 1 and 2, chapter 1, we see uh, Paul talking about uh, who Jesus was in relationship uh, to the angels and to everything else and he is he's setting jesus apart right he's saying jesus wasn't one of the angels he isn't in, a, in the same class as the angels the the angels are in one class and jesus is in a whole different class jesus is in the god class and he starts in verse one god who at sundry times and diverse manners spake in time past to the fathers by the prophets has in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he has appointed the heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory, the express image of his person, the of upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, he sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. Praise God. Being made so much better than the angels, as he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. For unto which of the angels said he at any time, There art my son, this day have I begotten thee, and again I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. Notice this. He's, he's making a difference here. He's going, listen, an angel is not a son. The angels don't, don't carry the son class. They don't, they're not children of God. God created them, but they're not children of God. Okay, they, they are beings that God created, and they're basically in the, in the servant class. Right? They, they, they serve is what they do. They serve, they serve humanity, but they're not in the son class. And so he's, he's, he's making this d d distinction. In verse 6, he goes, And again, when he brings the first begotten into the world, he says, And let the, all the angels of God worship him. And the angels, uh, says, who, who makes his angels spirits and his ministers a flame of fire. And unto the Son, he says, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of thy kingdom. Thou hast loved righteousness and hated iniquity. Therefore God, even thy God, has anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. 
And thou, Lord, in the beginning hast laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the works of thine hands. Now, so, so he goes on, but he's still talking about, um, you know, the, him being a son. And he says, uh, verse 13, But to which of the angels said he at any time, Sit on my right hand, which I make until I make thine enemies thy footstool? Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for them who are heirs of salvation? So who's he talking about the heirs of salvation? He's talking about us, amen? Right? So we are the heirs of salvation. So his, his first chapter, he's talking about Jesus and, 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 and saying how much Jesus is higher than the angels. And then at the end of chapter 1, he says, Are they not all, talking about the angels, ministering spirits sent forth to minister to them who shall be heirs of salvation? So now, in chapter 2, he begins talking about the relationship between man and angels. Okay, chapter 1, he's talking about Jesus and angels. Chapter 2, he's talking about man and angels. Therefore, we ought to give the more earnest heed to give the things which have heard, lest we let them slip. Okay, and he goes on, and uh, let me keep going down. I'm going to jump down a few scriptures here for, for uh, time's sake. Um, in verse 5, he says, for unto the angels has he not put in subjection the world to come, whereof we speak. So he's talking about oh, the world that's coming, the ages that are coming past this age. He's not put the angels in charge of that. Who's he put in charge of that? Us. He's put us in charge of that. So he's talking about, once again, the separation now between man and angels in our role. He says, but one, one angel in a certain place says, what is man that you're mindful of him or the son of man that you visit him? He's sitting there going, man, he goes, the angels got freaked out when God created man. Because the angels had seen God create all this stuff, right? He, they'd seen him. They'd seen him. Obviously, you know, he'd, he'd create all the angels. He created the heavenly realm. He created all the, the 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 bizarre beasts that fly around the throne. You know, you have wings and eyes and all this other stuff. He created all kinds of stuff, right? And then he begins to create the earth, and he creates the universe, the known physical universe, you know. And now. Now, you understand, God is so huge. He created all of that. He didn't have to take six days to do it. He just happened to choose to take six days to show us something. I can't get into all that. But you understand that the, we, we, have no, we don't even know how big the universe is. We can only see so far with the Hubble telescope and stuff. We can see quite a ways out there. right? And, and the, the known measurable universe right now is 96 billion light years across. Okay, 96.6 billion years or whatever it is. 96 billion light years across. Okay, now if you understand how big that is, that means if you're going the speed of light, the speed of light is roughly, it's 186,000 miles a second. But if you, if you, it basically means you can go around the earth seven times in one second. That's how fast the speed of light is. So seven times, you go around the earth seven times in one second. So, bam. Now you've gone around there seven times, okay? That's how fast the speed of light is. Okay, so if you're going that fast, if you're going the speed of light, and you wanted to go across the universe, the known universe, then it would take you, going that fast, 96.6 billion years to go across the known universe. That's how big it is that, that we know of. We, we don't, haven't even seen the end of it yet. And it, the Bible says that he measures the universe with the span of his hand. 
Oh, glory to God. <laughs> you know, one time I was just magnifying God. And I, I, you know, I talk about how big God is when I magnify Him and I love it. And I'm, I'm magnifying Him. And I'm just exalting Him. And I'm just letting Him be so big. And I begin talking about how big the universe is and how much He's made and all this other stuff and how, how He holds it in the span of His hand. And then He said, yeah, He goes, and all that that you're talking about, He goes, to me, that's just a vapor. That's just passing away like a vapor. He goes, that's, that's what happens when I go, puh. When I exhale, <laughs> that's how big God is, and he, and you understand He's so huge. And now the angels, they 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 look, they're sitting there going, um, verse six it says, but one angel in a certain place testified, "What is man that you're mindful of him, or the son of man that you're that, that you visit him?" They're like, oh, we don't get it that you're actually mindful of us, you're actually consumed with us. He, he's, he's talking about mankind. The angel is freaked out because what is man? What is this thing that you created? This isn't like anything else you created because you're mindful of him. You actually are, are constantly thinking about him. You understand? God's in love with us. God adores us. We're his children. We're his children and he loves us. And then he goes on in verse 7. He says, you made him a little lower than the angels. Now that word angels there, you need to cross that out and write in God. Because this is quoted from the Old Testament in Psalms, and in the Hebrew word for angels in this verse that they that they that they translated angels should not have been ever translated angels. It should have been translated God in the Old Testament. And this verse that that you know also should be translated God. This is the word Elohim in the Greek. I mean, excuse me, in the Hebrew, the word Elohim that you see all the way through the book of Genesis, and God created, and God said, and God said, and God, that's the word Elohim. Same word that, that, that is this. It says, Thou hast made him, made man a little lower than God. You crowned him with glory and honor, and set him over the works of your hands. You have put all things in subjection under his feet, for that he put all things in subjection, and he left nothing that is not put under him. But now we do not see yet all things put under him. But we see Jesus. Praise God. Now, understand, he's, he's talking about all these things. And, um, and he's talking about who, who, who man is and how he's not like the angels. Man is set above the angels. Man is set to have rulership and, and all things in subjection under him. And he, he's actually put in all things under him and nothing was not put under him. Right? And so God is talking here through the Holy Spirit saying man needs to look at himself differently. Man can't look at himself even, even in the same class as an angel. We can't look at ourselves as lower than the angels. We have to look at ourselves just lower than God himself. Now notice what it says verse 10. For it became him, talking about Jesus, for, for whom are all things and by whom are all things in bringing many sons into glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. For, now, oh man, I want you to see it. <coughs> he talks all about Jesus and who Jesus is, the Son of God. In fact, in the first in Hebrews one, it says he's the first begotten from the dead, the first begotten. What does that imply? That means there's more than one, right? It, it, it all through. See, before Jesus was raised from the dead, it calls him the only begotten of the Father. Well, now it calls him the first begotten of the Father because there's now there's more than one. Praise God! It says, "For both he that sanctifies, talking about Jesus." Right? Jesus, higher than the heavens. Jesus, the Son of the living God. Jesus, the one who fills all things. Jesus, the express image of, his fa of the Father. Jesus, the one who, who, who you know, um, uh, God calls, you know, sit, sit here until I enemies be made thy footstool. Jesus, both he that sanctifies is Jesus, and they who are sanctified, who is us, are all one. For which cause, 
Oh man, look what it says. For which cause he's not what? He's not ashamed to what? To call us brethren. Do you see what he's doing here in Hebrews 1 and 2? He's trying to get us to see who we are. He's saying he's not ashamed to call us brethren. He doesn't look down on us. He doesn't look shamefully on us. He doesn't look down on us like, oh yeah, that's just my pitiful little brother who can't do anything right. That's just my little... Uh, you know, nonsense brother who always gets in trouble, always messes things up. He doesn't look at us like a sidekick. He doesn't look at us like a mercy case. He doesn't look at us like, us like a pity case. He looks at us unashamed. He's proud to call me brother. He looks at us. He says, yep, right there, right there. That's my brother. Look at that. That's my sister. That's my brother. Look, 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 look what they're doing. That's my brother. That's my sister. And he's proud. He's proud to call us brethren. Praise God. This is who we are. You see, if we don't understand who we are, then anything he does for us will, 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 only make us feel more separated from him if we don't know who we are. When we see the great things that he's done as our high priest, as our savior, as our redeemer, when we see the great things that he's done for us, if we don't know who we are, it will only cause us to feel like we're further separated from him. Because we won't know that we're worthy of those things. We won't know who we're designed to be. Hebrews chapter 1 talks about Jesus. Hebrews chapter 2 is all about us. And then we go right into Hebrews chapter 3 and 4, talking about Hebrews chapter 3. Wherefore, verse 1, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling. Notice he calls us holy brethren. He doesn't call us sinners. He doesn't call us less than. He doesn't call us unworthy. He doesn't call us, you know, charity cases. He calls us holy brethren. And we're partakers of the heavenly calling. Consider the apostle and high priest of our profession, Jesus Christ. Praise God. Now, so we need to see that, that, that as we begin to walk this out, who are we in this? We are the royals. We are the royal class of God. We are the children of the Most High God. We are the king's kids. We are the royals. Praise God. And so, just tonight as we get into this, I, man, the Lord really put this on my heart. He says, you can't even talk about what the high priest did until you know how uh, that, 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 that it's, it's, it was right for him to do it. That we are, we are the fitting class for him to do this for. We were not um, some lowly class of, of being, and he just came just out of charity, out of mercy, out of pity, and came and rescued a bunch of, you know, misfits. You know, we're not we're not on the Isle of Misfit Toys. You know what I'm talking about? You remember from uh, anyway. Um, we're not that though. We are the children of the Most High God. He is King of Kings. We are kings. He is, he is Lord of Lords. We are Lords. Right? We need to understand who we are in this. We will never be Jesus. He is our big brother. He is our high priest. He is our Lord and Savior. And yes, he is the firstborn. He is at the right hand of the Father. But guess where we are? We're seated with him. Oh, we're not at his feet. We're not, we're not seated at his feet. We're seated with him in heavenly places. Praise God. Oh, that's huge. Oh, glory to God. But you see, that's why it says over there in, in, uh, oh, um, okay, I can't even get into that. Okay, let's just keep going. Um, now, Hebrews chapter 4, what we already read last week, but I want to reiterate this. It says, um, verse 14, Seeing then that we have a great high priest that has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not a high priest, which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come, how? Boldly into the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Now, we need to get this, that God 
his intent in giving us a high priest was that we would be able to come boldly. That we, could, we would come differently than they came in the Old Testament. Now, like I said, in the Old Testament, you know, because the high priest did his job, they had a filter of how they did business. They had a filter of how they would, you know, look at marriage, look at their finances, look at, at their crops in the field, look at their cattle. They had a filter of success and blessing. That's how they approached everything in their life, through the filter of what the high priest did. What God wants us to do now is he wants us to come boldly to him because of the high priest. Not just come boldly to the circumstance, but come boldly to Him. See, the temple veil was ripped in two, praise God. And now, we don't just come to the enemy boldly. We don't just come to the circumstance boldly. We don't just look at, 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 at sickness and disease with boldness. We don't just look at fear with boldness. We don't look at failure with boldness. We come to God boldly. We come to the, oh, the Most High God boldly. And when we begin to understand what boldness is, boldness is it changes how we ask. It changes how we pray. It changes how we, we behave. It changes how we speak. It changes how we receive. It changes how we steward. And it does it all differently from a place of boldness. If we can come to God boldly, then everything else will do with boldness too. Okay, but we have to first come to God boldly. We have to come. We have to come to our high priest boldly. We have to realize that our high priest is not there to accentuate separation. But it's actually to do away with the separation, amen. So that, that boldness means, um, I mean, think about it. Let's, let's just talk about this. We know that boldness is not arrogance, right? We know that. We know that, that you know, that obviously people can be arrogant. We know people can be prideful. But we know that's not what it's talking about. So what does boldness really mean? Well, let's just, you know, uh, somebody help me out with this. What, what are some other words for boldness? Um, yeah, confidence. Confidence is a good one, right? You know, we do things confidently. Praise God. What's another word uh, or another another meaning for boldness? Well, yeah, without fear. I mean, that's a big one right there. Right? Without fear. Totally without fear. To come in boldly. To come in, you know, with faith. To come in with love. To come in with joy. Right? Boldness, is, is it, it totally changes how we come. It basically means that we have no uh, inadequacy at all. We have no sense of inferiority or inadequacy or separation or condemnation or fear of any kind. We have no perception or, um, uh, how should I put it? We have no, uh, ex we have no expectation of judgment of any kind. Right? We, we only have the perception of goodwill and favor and blessing. You know, if, if, if you know that, 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 you know, if you know you're coming up to somebody and you know that they, that all they have for you is good, if all they have for you is good, if all, they only see you through the best, if they think that you're the best person and they love you more than anything and that, that, that all they'll ever do is bless you and all they're ever, all they're, all they'll ever do is shower you with love and kindness, you come a different way, right? But if you think that maybe you've done something wrong, you know, I, I remember, uh, you know, uh, well, you know, when we were kids, uh, you know, we, I, have, I have three siblings. I'm the youngest of four. And, um, and I remember when I was about six years old or something like this, um, uh, maybe even younger, five, six, something like this. You know, we, we lived in Portland for a, a few years until um, I was about nine years old. And in one of the houses we lived, we... Uh, there was a corner store. There was it was you know a couple blocks down, 
in a little corner store called Chiro's. And what we would do is on Sunday mornings, my, my parents, my mom and my stepdad, they'd sleep in on Sunday mornings. And um, so what we wanted to do, especially in the summertime, is we wanted to go down and get some penny candy. You guys remember what penny candy is? You know, penny candy. Some some people, you know, who are a little younger don't know what penny candy. Penny candy is basically just, we, you, you could go down and buy, buy little gumballs and little pieces of candy for like two cents, three cents, five cents, you know. And at Chiro's, they had, they had these, uh, um, Bins, you know, they were they were kind of low. They're they're for kids, I guess, to be able to grab. But um, there were little bins full of different penny candies, you know. So like I said, some were two, some were three, some were five cents, and uh, they obviously went all the way up to like a quarter or something like this. Um, but so we wanted to go down and get some penny candy, but we didn't have any money, and um, and so uh, what we would do is is we wanted to ask my mom for money. Well, they were in there sleeping, right? And uh, so somebody had to go in. Somebody had to go in and ask, you know, for some money. And and here my, my mom and my stepdad, they're asleep in there. And so we had to go and we had to wake my mom up and ask her for money. Well, guess who got the job of doing that every time? Yeah, you're right. That's that me. That'd be me, right? I got the job to go in every time. Now, you know, now I understand I'm the youngest. What, uh, I so I didn't get a vote. It wasn't like a vote was going on. Even if, a, if even if there was going to be a vote, guess what it would have been? Three to one, right? Every time. But if we didn't even take the vote, why bother? I'm going in, right? I don't have a voice here. I'm the youngest. The youngest has no voice. And so, um, so yeah, I get to be elected every time to go in. Now, interesting. The Lord, He reminded me of this a few years back. He, he reminded me of this of how we would do this. And He asked me this question. He goes, "Why do you think?" That they would send you in. Well, obviously they didn't want to go in, right? They didn't want to go in. Uh, but why do you think they would send me in? Well, they they thought I had the best chance, right? That I had the best chance of getting some money from my mom. Now let me ask you this: Why do you think that is? Why do you think they thought I would have the best chance? I mean, you just think about it just a little bit. Here, I'm the youngest. Yeah, people go, well, you're probably the cutest. I probably was. I don't know. <laughs> you know, but, um, you know, there's different reasons that we can we can kind of surmise. But here's ultimately what it came down to. They thought I had the highest possibility. So you're going to send in whoever you think that has the best chance of success, right? So they thought I had the best chance of success getting that money. And what I would do is, of course, you know, you know, I would, I would, you know, Gently knock on the door. Gently walk in. I'd, I'd be real. Try to be quiet as I could, and I'd be like, you know, I'd mom, you know, I'd, I'd we want to go get some candy, and so she, oh, get me a purse, whatever. And so I'd usually end up getting the money. Now, um, but why did they think I had a better chance of success than they did? Here's the deal. I was the youngest, and it's not just because I was the cutest. It's because in their eyes, I had done less wrong. Because I hadn't been alive long enough, right? So in their eyes, I had done less wrong than them, and therefore they believed I had a higher chance of success of getting what we wanted. And the Lord, when He showed me that a few years ago, He reminded me of doing all of that, and He said, "Do you see what happened here? There was already in the you as, as children, as young children, there was already such a sin consciousness that you believed that your level of innocence, that your level of innocence was going to dictate your level of getting uh, your, your success in getting what you wanted." And so, if whoever did the most wrong would have least chance of getting what they wanted. 
Man, do you see how sin consciousness is, 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 it gets bred into children so quickly? See, nobody taught us that. It was the law of sin and death in the earth. It was the law of sin consciousness in the earth. That's what taught us that. Nobody had to tell us that. That was just something that we just grew up understanding. That if you had done more wrong, you, you didn't have a chance of getting what you wanted. And so so even me, as being the most innocent, I wasn't coming in boldly. And being the most innocent, I was coming in with an unsure uh, uh, understanding of how, if I was going to get what I wanted. Even though I, I was the most innocent. I wasn't coming in boldly. You know, I wasn't coming in with a guarantee of what they were going to give me. Now, it's funny. I was, I was, um, uh, you know, I was watching. Uh, oh, this was years ago. I was watching a. Um, uh, oh, it was the Donald Trump, uh, The Apprentice. That's what it was years ago, The Apprentice, and um, and so basically, you know, there was like a reality type show, and so he had different teams, and they 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 were all different ones were competing to get a job with him, basically. And, uh, and so in this one, though, they were having a fundraiser uh, competition. And so um, and they had two teams split up, and they had a project leader over both teams. And the project leader, you know, his job was to raise the most money, you know, in this in this uh, charity dinner that they were putting on and uh, or something like this. And, uh, and one of the things that Trump told him to do, he goes, okay, you need to go over to this dealership, car dealership, and you need to get them to, to donate a car to give away at the charity auction. You know, and so, uh, uh, so the, 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 you need to get them to do that. And so, um, so they were gonna. So this one uh, project manager, he's getting ready for his meeting with the executive of the the car dealership thing. You know, um, and so uh, he, you know, you can tell he's getting ready, and they're doing their little interviews, you know, beforehand and everything. He's he's really nervous. And so then they they're having the meeting, right? And so he's going he's he's going on and on about how good the charity is and 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 what it's going to benefit and and how how awesome it's going to be and how the night's going to go. And then finally he works up the nerve. He works up the nerve finally. He's like, so I was really wondering if maybe you could donate a car, uh, you know, to, to be auctioned off at this. You know, it's going to go to a good a good cause. It's going to really bless a lot of da da whatever. And and the lady she goes she goes yeah definitely okay yeah we'll just do that. And she goes, are, are we done? Are we done here? And, uh, and he goes, and, 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 you know, he's like, oh, yeah, thank you so much, da, 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 da. You know, and, and then they show him, and they're interviewing him afterward. And he's just like, whoo, he's so proud of himself. He's like, man, I did it. We got the car. It's awesome. That's so cool. Man, we're going to have a car. It's so cool, man. I was nervous going in, but, man, it was so good. And he was just so pumped that he got this car uh, donated, right? Now, then they interviewed the the executive uh, independently, Um you know the executive of the car place, and uh, and, she, and he, this was her her interview. She goes, well, she goes. I went into that meeting, um, and I was totally prepared to, to donate two cars, but he only asked for one, so that's that's what I gave him was one. But I was totally prepared to give him two, and I'm like, what in the world? See now, understand? He went in to that meeting with a different understanding or a different perspective than she went. In. She went in with one agenda. I'm going in to give them two cars. He went into the meeting saying, I'm going in to ask and beg and to persuade them to give me one car. Oh my goodness. Do you see how his perception of the meeting defined what he received? Her, her intention did not, did not define what he received. It was his perception that defined it. His perception limited what he received, even though what he received was half as much as what she intended to give. 
Now, this is huge to me because we need to get this, that God, His intention toward us is unlimited. His intention toward us is infinite. His intention toward us is exceedingly, abundantly, above all we can ask or imagine. Praise God. But His intention doesn't define what we receive. It's our perception that defines it. And so when he's saying, come boldly, come boldly, it's because he wants us to receive more. It's because he wants us to actually raise our perception so that it can match his intention. Praise God. We, when we come boldly, we're not coming in like that kid that I was when I was six years old, just meagerly knocking on the door, begging for a couple pennies to go buy some penny candy. He, that's not what he wants us to do. He wants, to, he wants us to know that he's a good father, and as a good father, he has more than, he wants to, his intention is to give us more than we can ask or imagine all the time. But it's, we don't receive based on, on his intention, we receive based on our perception. And so, man, we need to come boldly. We need to realize that there's something happening here. And, and uh, you know, there, what happens is, is that, we you know, sin consciousness, though, tells us that God just doesn't want to give it to us. Or that we have to beg or we have to qualify or we have to do something. And, uh, and we need to get that out. We need, we need to begin to renew our mind. We need to begin to humble ourselves. <clears throat> we need to begin to factor in the high priest. Right? And it says, seeing that we have a great high priest, let us come boldly. Let us come boldly. He wants us to act different, speak different. I mean, once again, boldness is not cockiness. Boldness is not arrogance. Boldness is not pridefulness. Boldness is knowing who I am and being confident and having no sense of inferiority, insecurity, or fear, or, or condemnation in the situation. Now, in order to do that, though, we need to understand something because... Um, we need to understand who we are, once again, in his plan of things. And this, uh, one of the things that, uh, that really hinders how boldly we come is, um, you know, that, that, just that sense that, you know, basically the, the, the sense of sin consciousness. You know, I, you know, obviously there was times when I did things wrong when I was a kid. And when I did things wrong, man, that's not when I went and asked for a new bike, right? When I was waiting punishment. You know, I remember the one time when I had I had uh, uh, poked a bunch of holes in our couch for no reason other than I was an idiot kid, um, and my mom, you know, she she saw what I had done. She's like, "Why'd you do that?" Well, guess what my answer was? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know why I did it. I'm an idiot kid. I don't know. And uh, uh, and so you know, she she gave me the the death sentence. She goes, "Well, we have to wait till your dad gets home." you know, then you're going to have to deal with it, you know. And so here, that was the longest day of my life, right? And uh, <laughs> so I'm, I'm waiting for my stepdad to get home from work, right? And so here, my stepdad gets home. Now, once again, do you think that when my stepdad got home, I ran up to him and I asked him for a brand new bike? I did not. Why? Because I was expecting punishment based on my behavior, I did not have a sense of boldness. I did not have a sense of confidence. I had I had the expectation of judgment. That's what I had. And when we have an expectation of judgment, it saps our confidence. It saps our boldness. If we think that judgment is um, is 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 necessary, if we think that judgment is the fair thing, um, if we think that we're worthy of judgment, then we can't be worthy of the blessing at the same time. Right. If we think that that we're deserving of judgment, then we can't. We cannot see ourselves deserving of God's goodness at the same time. And so, 
what happens is, like the funny thing is, I remember sitting there and my, my stepdad, actually, I had, to, I had to tell him everything that I did. And that was a fearful time. You know, I'm telling him I poked holes in the couch and everything. And he asked me why. And I'm like, I don't know why I did that. And uh, now, see, what I didn't know, and this is just the mercy of God glory. Um, the mercy of God is this, is that I didn't know is that we were getting a brand new couch the very next day. You know, so after I told my dad all that stuff, and, and I'm like, oh, well, here it comes. I don't know what's going to happen now. Um, my mom goes, well, we're going to get a couch tomorrow anyway, so this one's being hauled off to, the, to to wherever, and we're just getting a brand new couch tomorrow anyway. Woo! Glory to God! <laughs> Hallelujah! Man, there was rejoicing in the streets that night. Anyway, um, but uh, but I understand, we, we need to get this, that... that, that um, that what what stops us from from coming to God, even though we know He's given us Jesus, even though we know these things, what stops us from coming to God many times is we still believe that our actions and behaviors require judgment, and so we still see ourselves as basically sinners uh, that still have to work things out. Now, here's what the, uh, this is what God led me into. Um, in dealing with this, let's talk about justice a little bit because it's our—it's that sense of justice that really can hold us back from walking out boldly. Because when we have, you know, you know, we we have a sense of justice, right? I mean, there's things that come upon the inside of us that that you know we see things that are unjust. Man, justice is a big deal. We want justice for things. When when I see atrocities that happen to people in this earth, man, I want justice. You know, and that sense of justice comes from God because God's a just God. But the problem is it can backfire on us if we don't redeem it, if we don't reconcile that sense of justice. Because that same sense of justice can look at our own sin and can look at our own behavior and we can begin to say, well, if I want justice, that means that I need to pay the price for this. And so until we feel like the price has been paid fully, we won't really fully receive what God has given to us. And, and so there's a hang-up here. And so this is what God wants us to deal with, is, is understanding how, how just God is, but also what he did in justice. So let's turn over to Isaiah in 59. Let me show you something here. And this is I'm just going to tell you this, because what we need to do is we need to begin to understand what God did in justice in giving us Jesus. Now, over here in Isaiah 59, now, of course, Isaiah 59, verse 2 starts with, But your iniquities have separated you, separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you, that he will not hear. And now, now I love, if we back up to verse 1, it says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, neither is his ear heavy that it cannot hear. And then, so he says, it first starts off with how big God is. And then it starts in verse 2 all the way down. It starts talking about how much sin has taken a hold of us and iniquity has, has done these things. In verse 10 it says, um, uh, uh, in New King James it says justice, where, where in the King James it says judgment. It says, therefore is justice far from us, neither, do, neither does, does justice overtake us. We wait for light, but behold, obscurity... Uh, but, but, but behold obscurity for brightness, but we walk in darkness. We grope for the wall like the blind. We grope as if, as if we had no eyes. We stumble at noonday as night. We are in desolate places and, and as dead men. We roar like bears and mourn like sore doves. Um, we, we look for justice, but there is none. For salvation, but it is far from us. For our transgression are multiplied before thee, and our sins testified against us. For our transgressions are with us, and as for our iniquities, we know them. 
I mean, this is a sad state for mankind, right? He just keeps going on and on with this stuff. And uh, it says, verse 14, And judgment is turned away backward, and justice stands afar off. For truth is fallen in the street, and the equity cannot enter. Yea, truth faileth, and he that departs from evil makes himself a prey. And the Lord saw it, and it displeased him that there was no justice. And he saw that there was no man, and he wondered that there was no intercessor. Therefore his arm brought salvation unto him, and his righteousness it sustained him. And then he goes on talking about how he put on his own armor, and he came, and he wrought righteousness, and he came, and he wrought salvation for us. Praise God. And then of course, chapter 60 is arise and shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon us. And I mean, he just goes on for the next two or three chapters about how awesome it was when salvation came. But notice how God, he's looking at the state of man in sin. He's looking at the state of man and his iniquities. And look what he looked for. He looked for justice. It says um, uh, in verse 14, And judgment is turned away backward, and justice stands afar off. For truth is fallen in the street, and equity cannot enter. Yea, truth faileth, and, the, and, and he departs from evil, makes himself a prey. And the Lord saw it, and it, it displeased him that there was no justice. And he saw that there was no man, that, that, and wondered what, that there was no intercessor. Now, notice, God wasn't looking for mercy in the earth. He was looking for justice. How is it that he was looking for justice? How is it that God, his answer for iniquity was not mercy? His answer for iniquity was not being merciful to man. His, 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 his answer for iniquity was justice. He was looking for justice. And the reason why is because man was never supposed to be in sin. Man was not designed for sin. Man was not designed to walk in the law of sin and death. Man was designed in the likeness and image of God himself. And so for man to be groping like bear and, and, you know, and moaning like doves and doing all these other things, Groping in, 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 you know, around like a blind man and nude. That is not what man is designed for. And so God looked at it and he wasn't saying, man, I better show them mercy. No, he's looking for justice because it's not just for man to live in sin. It's not just for man to do these things. And it's not just for royals to live that way. Right? And so we need to realize that, that what God did is he actually brought justice. Let me, okay. Um, let me read some some uh, some some verses. I'm not going to turn there. I'm just going to read these, and these are these are uh, in the Old Testament, and these are about how just God is, and what does it mean for God to be just? And it says uh, verse chapter excuse me Psalm seven verse eleven it says God is a just God. And God is angry with the wicked every day. He, verse 30, 33, verse, 7, verse 5 of Psalms. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the goodness of the Lord. Psalms 37, verse 28. For the Lord loves justice and does not forsake his saints. They are preserved forever, but the descendants of the wicked shall be cut off. Psalms 89, verse 14. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Mercy and truth go before your face. Psalms 97, verse 2. Clouds and darkness surround him. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. Psalms 111.7. The works of his hands are verity and justice. All his precepts are sure. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 1. Dishonest scales are an abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is his delight. So he's talking about scales here, right? And this is what I want to get into. He's talking about what does it mean to be just? It means it's fair. That's what it means to be just. That you're always doing the fair and right thing. That everything you do is fair and right. That there's these scales. And we call them, you know, if you've ever seen, 
you know, pictures of, you know, um, uh, our, our judicial system logo. It has a woman standing there sometimes with scales in her hand. Or you see the scales. It's called the scales of justice. And that means that 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 means that they are that they're equal. That means if if somebody does this, then 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 the punishment or the the weight on the other side is equal and just. And so a just scale means they equal out. That what what is done on one side is equal to the other side. And so it's not off balance. It's not like you you have you know and, and a just scale. Of course, in biblical times, was when somebody would go to market and they would um, they they would have you know something to sell and they would want to know how much it was worth. And so somebody would have to weigh it, right? And so they would they would put their item, whatever it was, on one side of the scale. And so then what they would do is they would have weights and they would put the weights on the other side of the scale to see how much it weighed and that would cause that would, that would say the worth of that thing, right? And so the, when God talks about unjust weights and an unjust scale, it means that sometimes uh, the, the sometimes the people were not so uh, trustworthy at the market. And so some people's scales, sometimes they would the, the center of the scale would be off to one side or the other and it would make the scales tip to their favor or their weights would not be the right measurement of weight and they knew it so what they would do is they would maybe they would say it was a five pound weight and actually it only weighed four and a half pounds and they would put that up there and they would say yep yeah, you know and say or, or whatever it would be you know a six pound weight when it would only it would really weigh 10 pounds or whatever and so they would do that and they would they, they would put unjust weights and an unjust scale and it would basically mean it was unfair for the people and God it's in the verses he's talking about God being just and how he hates the unjust scale Verse chapter eleven, verse one: Dishonest scales are an abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is His delight. Verse chapter Proverbs sixteen, verse eleven: A just weight and balance are the Lord's, and all the weights of the bag are His work. Chapter twenty, verse twenty-three: Diverse weights are an abomination unto the Lord, and a false balance is not good. So here he is. All those verses talking about how just he is. All of them talking about how fair he is. That whatever he does, he does, and it's the perfect right thing to do. Every time, all the time. He is just. Everything he does is right and perfect all the time. He does the right and fair thing all the time. So if he does something on this side of the scale, it's going to equal the other side of the scale, right? Because an unjust scale is an abomination to the Lord. And so if I were to draw some scales here, you know, you would have, uh, you, you would have, you know, a, 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 uh, 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 basically a, a, platform of some kind, whether it be a bowl or a dish on this side, on the right side, and you would have one on the other side. And so you, you would find out what something was worth by placing it on the right side and then placing weights on the other side. And once they leveled out, then you would know how much it weighed. Hence, you would know how much it was worth. And an, uh, the just scale means it's equitous, means it's, it's, it's equal all the time. It's a fair scale. And the reason I'm saying that is because we... As people of God, we need to realize that 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 if God were to give me something that was, um, uh, if he was if he were to give me something that I didn't deserve or if I wasn't worthy of it, that would be unjust of God. 
See, he went into Isaiah 59 and he saw man, man groping, you know, like blind men in the noontime, man moaning like bears because of their iniquity had separated between them and their God. And he saw it was unjust. He saw it wasn't right. So, you understand, he didn't come with loads of mercy. He came with justice to make it right because it wasn't right that we'd be in sin. It wasn't right that we would be, oh, facing the, the, the law of sin and death. It's not right for man to live in that. And so, when we understand what Jesus did as our high priest, then we need to understand that that uh, that for for God to put Jesus on one side of the scale, for God to put Jesus, my high priest, on one side of the scale, that He was the payment to be made. We understand that he was not paying for sin. He was paying for you and I, right? And so he was on one side of the scale, and we were on the other side of the scale. And so for God to be just, I just read all those verses talking about how just he was, and how worthy, he, uh, how fair he is, and how he is he hates an unjust scale. It's an abomination to him. So for me to put Jesus on one side, it, it means that if I'm on the other side, then there has to be equity there. That, that Jesus... Oh my goodness, praise God. Um, <laughs> that's Remember, we already read this in Hebrews chapter 2. And uh, let's just go back over there. Hebrews chapter 2. Praise God. But see, if I, don't, if I don't get this, if I don't understand that I was worthy of what the high priest did, then there's always going to be a sense of separation. Like I have to measure up to it instead of realizing that it was measured out according to who I was. It was measured out according to Hebrews chapter 2, who I was designed to be. Made a little lower than, than, than God himself. Made a little lower. Actually put over the, 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 the works of his hands. Right? I was actually put over. the, the We're going to be put over the world to come. Right? We're going to actually judge angels, it says in Corinthians. And so we need to understand, <coughs> over here, Hebrews chapter 2, like it says, um, verse 11. Uh, well, uh, okay, verse 10. Verse 10. Um, and in the, in the New Kingdom it says, For it was fitting for him, for whom all things, and by whom are all things, and bringing many sons into glory, to make the captain of salvation perfect through sufferings, for both he that sanctifies and they who are being sanctified are all one. For which cause he's not ashamed to call us brethren. Do you see this? This is, is you see, this is an equitous scale. He put Jesus on the side of 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 um of the high priest because he is the only one worthy to be our high priest. He's the only one worthy of how God created us. He's the only one. God looked throughout all of humanity. He looks throughout all of creation and he's looking at us in sin and it's not just and it's not right. And he's in one, what can I do that's what can I do that would be worthy of the one that's made my likeness and image? What can I do to be worthy of that? I need to send myself. He's the only one worthy to be on the side that would actually weigh enough to actually equal our, our redemption. Praise God. It wasn't, oh, glory to God. We need to get that. That, that we are, the fact that he is just means this, that um, <laughs> he proves our worth by his actions. He proves it because he's just. So if he, if he, whatever he puts if he puts me on one side of the scale, whatever he puts on the other side of the scale proves my worth. Because he's just. He, he's not going to do something unjust. So he's not going to do something that I don't deserve. He's not going to do something that I'm not worthy of. Now, I'm not, I don't deserve it because of my actions, but I deserve it because of who I am. I deserve it because of how he designed me and how he created me. Turn back over there. First, um, first John chapter 1. 
Praise God. Are we getting this? Man, we've got to get a hold of this. That my high priest is not somebody that's separated from me. He is a representative of me. Okay? And so over here in, in 1 John chapter 1, and he says, we know this verse, probably one of the most popular verses in all of Christendom. Uh, 1 John chapter 1 and verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and what? Just to do what? To forgive us of our sins and to what? Cleanse us of all unrighteousness. He is faithful and just. Notice there, he's talking about forgiveness, and in, he does not mention mercy once there. He doesn't say he's faithful and he's merciful. It says he's faithful and he's just. See, it was he, he actually put forgiveness in the sense of justice because it's not right that we would pay for sin that was already paid for by the blood of Jesus. It would not be right for me to pay for that sin because it's already been paid for. And so what he wanted to do is he wanted to put forgiveness in a sense of justice so that when I come to him, I'm not coming asking for mercy. I'm coming asking for justice. I'm coming asking for him to be faithful. Here it says, he's faithful and he's just. That means if he doesn't forgive me, and if he doesn't cleanse me of all unrighteousness, then he's not faithful and he's not just. Oh, that's a hard thing to say, isn't it? But we need to get that. That my goodness, the, he, that, that my, my role in his family is not the pitiful one that always needs to be forgiven. You know, I want to ask you that. What you know, this is something the Lord talked to me about a while back. I was just in prayer, and He asked me. He goes, "What kind of child are you in the family? What role of a child are you?" And He began to show me how how everybody has a different uh, mindset of you know in their own natural family of what kind of child they are. Some people, you know, they're the firstborn and they think that they're entitled or whatever. Some people um, uh, look at themselves as the ones who are always getting in trouble. Some of them always look at them, the ones that are, are never measuring up to uh, their dad or their mom or whether they're, 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 they're the disappointment all the time. Some of them um, are, are the ones who feel like they're always the victim that are always getting blamed for everything. Uh, some kids, you know, they just, uh, you know, whatever role they are, some some feel like they're the neglected ones, they're the, the, the middle child, so they're always neglected, you know. But uh, kids have a, a certain perception of what kind of child they are in their family, you know. Now, uh, and that's going to determine how you come to the Father. And this is what he's telling me, he goes, what kind of child are you? And I began to sit there and think about that. And I go, Father, okay, you tell me what kind of child I am. And then he began to tell me, he goes, I'm going to tell you what kind of child you're not. And I began out of my mouth to say, I am not the neglected child. I'm the one loved by my Father. I am not the one who's in trouble all the time. I'm the one who's always righteous and always holy and always doing what my Father is, is pleasing to my Father. I am not the one who needs to come begging and groveling. I have the favor of my Father as a shield, praise God. And I just began to speak who I was. What kind of child am I in the family of God? Because we can all agree that we're children of God, but what kind of child are we? And that's going to determine how we come to our dad. Right? If, if I, if I view myself as innocent, then I'm gonna come differently than if I think I just sinned. I, if I view myself, now here, like I said, he says, you need to come boldly and get forgiven based on faith and justice. Get forgiven based on justice. Okay? Don't, don't, don't just come with, for mercy. Come for justice. Because the price was paid for that forgiveness. The price was paid for, for that sin. It's already been paid for before the foundations of the world. So for you to pay the price for it, for you to pay one ounce of the price for that sin, for you to carry that sin for one moment is unjust, and it dishonors the blood of Jesus. It dishonors it. 
And we need to honor our Father. We need to honor our High Priest and honor the one who actually died for us and realize that we are worthy because He's just. That we are worthy. Turn over there. Oh, praise God. Um, hmm. Uh, goodness. Uh, turn over to, to uh, Hebrews chapter 7. Now, we've we got to get this, that, that if, if we don't learn that, that, see, boldness is not, I don't come boldly, okay, uh, so many times people, people just because of a religious mindset or just how we've been taught or whatever, we just don't think that we deserve what God is offering us. And so we think it's somehow humble to not think that we deserve it, when that's just pride. You know, we need to come and realize, no, I deserve it because I was made in the likeness and image of God. Remember um, Luke chapter 15, the, the, the prodigal son, right? The prodigal son. Here he is. Uh, he goes off, does stupid, stupid things, right? He comes back, and the father blesses him, right? And, you know, now, now, the, now the son comes back with the speech, I'm not worthy now once again. He doesn't think he's worthy. And the father doesn't even listen to him, gets the, 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 the robe on him, the ring on him, the sandals on him, the fatted calf, the whole thing, they start having a party. And remember what the older brother's doing? The older brother's outside having a hissy fit, right? He has a fat lip syndrome, right? He's out there with a big lip, and he's all like huffy and puffy. And the father goes out and goes, what is up? Right? And he goes, he goes, dude, you know, the, 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 the older one goes, listen, he goes, I've been serving you all these years. You never gave me a fatted calf. You never threw a party for me and my friends. What's up with that? The, 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 my, my brother is an idiot. He went off and done stupid things and he came back and you threw him a party. Now notice what the father, if you go back and look 15, you see what the father says. The father says, it was meet or fitting or right for me to throw him a party because my son that was lost is now found. Do you understand? He goes, because the father never, the father never let the, the son's actions define his nature. He always knew he was a son. He always treated him like a son. He treated him like a son when he gave him the inheritance. He treated him like a son when his when he took off. He treated him like a son when he was looking for him every day. He treated him like a son when he saw him on the path. He treated him like a son when he hugged his neck. He treated him like a son when he put the robe on him. He treated him like a son when he put the ring on him. He treated him like a son all the time. And that's why he says, it would not be right for me to treat him any other way because he's always been a son. He's always been the same nature. His bloodline has never changed, even though his actions and behavior wasn't acting like it. He, his bloodline never changed, and therefore, my actions will never change. You understand, the father... The Father, the only just thing He could do is send Jesus. The only right thing He could do is send Jesus. Because He's just. Because He made us so close to Himself, He made us in His likeness, and His is in, in, in His image. And so, because we were always meant and designed to be children of God, even when we were in sin, our, 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 uh, we were always designed to be the children of God. And so the only just thing he could do is send Jesus. Praise God. And so the only just thing we can do is come boldly to receive him. Glory to God. Now, over in, in Hebrews 7, I need to wrap this up. Um, and in verse, uh, I love this. Uh, oh, my goodness. Verse uh, tw uh, 25. Verse 25. Uh, talking about Jesus the high priest, wherefore he is able also to save them to the uttermost, them that come to God, uh, seeing he ever lives to make intercession for them. Verse 26. I love how the New King James put this. It says, For such an high priest is fitting for us. What does it mean fitting? 
It's the just thing. It's the right thing. He's exactly perfect for us. He is the right side of the scale. He is, in other words, he for him to be on that side of the scale next to us is fitting. It's the right thing to do. Nothing more and nothing less would ever do. He is exactly the right price that was paid. He's exactly the right high priest because he is the perfect representative of us. Praise God. No, no. Okay, let's see this here. It says, um, for, for such a high priest is fitting for us who is, notice what it says, holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and made higher than the heavens. Praise God. He goes, this is who was fitting for us. The one that was holy, the one that was undefiled, the one who is harmless, the one who is separate from sinners, and the one who is higher than the heavens. He's the one fitting for us because that's where we were always designed to be. That's where we were always designed because we were not created on this earth. We were created in the secret parts of God. We were, we were created when God breathed us into existence before we were in our mother's womb. That's where we were created. That's where we are designed to be, is with our Father. And we are made in the likeness image of the Father. Father of God most high. And we need to get this, that if we can begin to understand who we are as children of God, if we can begin to understand that that He was the only one worthy of us, He was the only, he, you know, understand, He didn't die out of mercy, He died out of justice, because He was the one fitting for us. See, this is, when when the Word talks about, um, okay, a couple years ago, Jesus, uh, it, was, it was years and years ago nowadays, uh, quite a few years back, uh, the Father told me this in prayer. He goes, Jesus is not your example, He's your reflection. Because He's the living Word of God, and the Word of God is a mirror, it says in James, right? And if, if the Word of God is a mirror, and He's the living Word of God, then He is not my standard to live up to. He's not my standard to measure up to. He's my reflection. He is my older brother. He carries the same DNA I carry. It says in First Peter, it says, uh, excuse me, Second Peter chapter 1, it says, I'm a partaker of His divine nature. And so, He is my reflection. I don't look at Jesus as my example to live up to. I look at it as my reflection to tell me who I am. I am. Praise God. And when I see my high priest, I need to see him as my accurate, just representative of who I am. He was not more than enough. He was exactly right because we are going to rule and reign with him forever and ever. Praise God. So, Father, right, oh, man, I tell you what, we just need to get a hold of this. And as we get into this next week, just, man, do you see where we're going with this? If we don't know that we're worthy, we're not going to receive the fullness of it. But if we know that we're worthy, if we know it's just, then we can see what the high priest did, and we can welcome it, and we can boldly receive freely all the things given to us. Praise God. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you right now. We give you glory. We thank you, Father God, for Jesus. We thank you, Father God, for making us and creating us in your likeness and your image. Father God, we are not, Father God, in the angel class. We're not in the animal class. We are in the God class. We are in the likeness and image of the Father. And therefore, it was just and right that you sent Jesus. And so, Father, we receive boldly. We come boldly. We speak boldly. We live boldly. Father God, we, we, Father God, we, we see everything, Father God, through the eyes of our boldness with you. And we just thank you once again, Lord God, for that high priest in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise God. Thanks for joining us today on Wisdom and Stuff. Don't forget to subscribe to get new updates and check out our podcast page on Podbean to find all our previous posts and full-length messages. We'll see you next time and have a blessed day.